If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 16, it's found on page 1041. Luke chapter 16, we're going to start at verse 19. Hear God's word. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell off the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who have um, passed from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, Let, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You ever had a smoke alarm go off in your house? Maybe you were burning supper, I mean cooking supper, or... The thing that happens in our house a lot is in the middle of the night, the battery starts going low and all of a sudden it starts beeping. Have you ever had that? And you don't know what in the world is going on and it's just the battery. It's frustrating. Those things can be so annoying, right? But why then do we have them in our house? Why have them then if they're so annoying? Well, because they save people's lives, right? It can alert us of a fire so that hopefully we can put it out before it it begins to spread. The only problem with this, though, is some people say, well, we're never going to have a fire. And so you're watching TV at night and and, the channel changer doesn't work. Where are you going to go? Can't find a battery in the house, so you pull one out of the smoke detector. Should you do that, Bruce? No, you shouldn't do that. But we do it, don't we? Because we think... (laughs) It'll never happen to us, you know, and and I'll get another battery for it. But the only problem is you forget about it. And then you're not prepared when a fire does come. I think that's how a lot of people think about hell. They don't like it. It makes them uncomfortable. And they don't normally want to talk about it or even think about it. Who wants to hear about the idea of eternal punishment? Yet it's part of God's word. And we need to heed the warning that we find here and in other places. 
It's amazing how many people today do not believe in a place called hell. There was a survey done not long ago, and they asked people what they thought about hell. And the, the, the results of this was really interesting, I thought. 69% of the people believed that hell was not real. It really wasn't a, a place that we had to worry about. 69% of the people didn't think hell was a, a, a reality out there. I remember when Rob Bell, the pastor of Mars Hill in, in, in Lower Michigan, left the ministry in, in 2012. At the time, he had 7,000 people attending his church. 7,000. Well, what got him into trouble, there was a number of things that got him into trouble, but one thing in particular is um, right around that time, he wrote a book. And, and in that book, he, he professed to believe in universalism, which basically says that all people will go to heaven. All people will eventually go to heaven. And so we, we serve a God of love, and God would not allow anyone to be in hell forever. And even though that's contrary to what Scripture teaches, that's what he was teaching his church. And again, you wonder how many people he led astray through that. Because once you get rid of hell and, and you no longer have that reality, then why really do you need a Savior? Today, people have all kinds of crazy ideas about hell. Many believe that hell is Satan's domain. That's not true. We get that from the Greek myths. You know that um, the Greek god Hades, that that he's in hell, that that's his home, and, and that's not what the Bible teaches. Hell is a place prepared for his devil and his angels. They're not there yet. That's something that they too want to avoid. You might remember the... Uh, um, the story about Jesus casting out the, the, um, the demons out of the man, and um, they didn't want Jesus to send them back to hell because they too thought it was a horrible place. Some people like Ted Turner, they talk about hell like it really isn't that big of a deal or that bad of a place. Listen to what he said about hell in a speech he made to the National Press Club. I'm just quoting him now. Heaven is going to be a, a mighty slender place, and most of the people I know in life aren't going to be there. There are a few notable exceptions, and I'll miss them. Audience laughs. Remember, heaven is going, to be, is going to be perfect, and I don't really want to be there. Those of us who go to hell, which will be most of us in this room, he goes, most journalists are, are going to be there. Again, laughter throughout the room. But when we get to hell, we'll have a chance to make things better, because hell is supposed to be a mess. And heaven is perfect. Who wants to be in a place that's perfect? And he said, boring, boring. And more laughter in the room. Is hell really something we should be joking about? Is it really a laughing matter? Now to understand this parable, we need to see it in light of what Jesus has already taught in this chapter. You might notice that there's two parables in this chapter. And the one in the beginning and the one at the end, are, 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 they, they begin the same way. You could say that they're, they're bookends um, of this chapter. And, and they start out with, there was a rich man. You might say that in these parables, Jesus is, is admonishing his followers as well, and, and more specifically the, the Pharisees. 
He's reminding them not to store up treasures here on earth. Both parables call God's people to pay attention to God's commandments and realize that you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot place idols, have idols in your life that are more important to you than God. And just like the parable of the fig tree that we looked at last week, this parable is also a a warning of the coming eternal punishment that belongs to everyone who doesn't put Yahweh first in their lives. Now there's a number of ideas that that Jesus contrasts in this parable. And and by focusing on them, it kind of helps us understand what he's trying to communicate here. And the first one is the contrast Jesus makes between poor and rich. Our, our passage says that the rich man was extremely wealthy and lived in a big home. He wore fine clothes of purple and linen. Only the, the really rich would wear clothes like that. We're also told that he feasted every day. Notice he didn't just eat food, but he feasted, which indicates to us that when he ate, it was all about indulgence and excess. The rich man, he was in, he lacked nothing. He needed nothing. So he thought. In many ways, he's like many today who are living their lives feeling secure in their wealth and their, their strength. When really, in ourselves, it's not enough, is it? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and so all of us are in the same boat. We need a Savior. To meet Jesus one day, not having met Him during our lives, not having, not having asked Him to be our Lord and Savior, what a frightening prospect to stand there in front of God without the blood of Jesus covering us. Now I'm sure that this parable was kind of a a shock to Jesus' listeners. Because in their minds, they believe that, well, if you're rich, that means God's blessing you. And if you're not rich, if you're sick, if you're poor, well, that's because God's not happy with you. They had some strange ideas about that. And then for the rich man in our our, our parable, um, we don't even know his name. And I think it's a subtle way for Jesus to indicate to us that this man is outside the family of God. That this man doesn't know Jesus. And even in this parable, he doesn't call on God, he calls on Abraham. He doesn't have a relationship with Christ Jesus. Lazarus, on the other hand, had a completely different life. He was poor beyond our our ability to even start to comprehend. Lazarus wore rags, he was very sick. He wasn't able to work which forced him to become a beggar. He had no means to support himself. And the people who should have cared for him, like the rich man, who had so much, he wasn't willing to to help Lazarus at all. And so each day they would lay Lazarus at the gates of, of the rich man's house, his estate. And yet, no one gave him anything. He longed to eat the crumbs that fell off the the, the rich man's table. Now that's hungry, to eat the crumbs that fall to the floor. But the rich man wouldn't even allow that. 
The only good thing you could say about Lazarus' life was that he had God in it. In fact, Lazarus' very name means God is my helper. That's the most important thing, isn't it? To have a relationship with Christ Jesus. We do a lot of great things in our lives. But the most important thing we have to do is make sure that our our eternity is secure. And the only way that can happen is is through Christ. The rich man and Lazarus, they, they lived totally different lives. And the only thing they had in common was really that they both died on the same day. Yet death isn't the end. When the heart stops and, and you've breathed your last, the soul and the spirit, God's word teaches, continues on. And it continues on forever. 2 Corinthians 5, our, our bodies are compared to that of a tent. Tents get holes. They start to wear out. They get tattered after a while. Same with our bodies. And the longer we live, the more tattered and feeble our tents become. I love this uh, story that former President John Quincy Adams told toward the end of his life. I think he was about 80 years old at the time. And a friend came and, and met him and shook his hand. And John Quincy Adams' hand was trembling, again, because of his age. And the man says, good morning, how is John Quincy Adams today? And the retired chief executive looked at him for a moment and said, John Quincy Adams himself is quite well, sir, quite well. But the house in which he lives in at present is becoming dilapidated. It is tottering upon its foundations. Time and the seasons have almost destroyed it. The roof is pretty worn out. Its walls are falling down and it crumbles with every wind. The old tenement is becoming almost uninhabitable. And I think that John Quincy Adams will soon move out. But he himself, sir, is quite well. Don't you love that answer? It wasn't long after this that John Quincy Adams had his second stroke. And he left that shaky tenement house for good. And he entered a a home that was not made by human hands. At Lazarus' death, all that we are told about him is that he died. Nothing is said about his burial. And usually what they did for very poor is you dump them in the garbage dump. There was a fire going on there all the time. It's an eternal fire that was always burning the garbage. And that's where they put the very poor. They just dumped their bodies there. Not much of a send-off. The rich man, though, we're told, was buried. I'm sure it was with a lot of fanfare and a lot of hoopla. and He's probably given a, a glorious send-off. The finest funeral that money could buy. Now, Jesus' listeners, uh, again, they would have thought, kind of surprisingly, why did the rich man die? It didn't make sense to them because... He was rich. That means he was being blessed by God. Then why would God take his life? But in this parable, we find out that in death, Lazarus was really the rich man. And the rich man was actually poor. While Lazarus died with nothing, in eternity he had everything. While the rich man had everything here on earth, In eternity, he had nothing. 
He lost everything. What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Second comparison and reversal in our story is where the rich man and Lazarus go after they die. When both of these men die, there is a, no pause in the action. It just continues. There's no break in the narrative. After death, they both immediately go to their eternal home. After both men die and pass through death's gate, an amazing reversal occurs. Verse 25 says, The angels carried Lazarus to Abraham's bosom. That idea of Abraham's bosom, it's just an idea of, of a safe place that no harm can come, just like it would be for a little child in his mother's, his mother's arms. But the rich man had a completely different experience. After he woke, he was in a terrifying place called hell. I find this passage to be disturbing because it's the only passage in the Bible where we're actually given somebody's thoughts who's in hell. Their thoughts, emotions, their words. As I mentioned previously, the crowd and especially the Pharisees, they, they would have been shocked at this. What? The rich man? He, he, he's in hell? That doesn't make sense. He, he had been rich his entire life. They would have been asking themselves, what did the rich man do to deserve this kind of death? There's no mention that he did anything terribly wicked in his life. But what it does tell us is that he forgot to love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, and mind, and he forgot to love his neighbor as himself. The most important thing that you can do here on earth. He had no regard for God and his word. Even in hell, the rich man remains unrepentant. He doesn't appeal to God for mercy. But he talks to Abraham. Because a rich man is in such agony, he instructs Abraham on how he can show him mercy and send him just a little bit of relief. He also still considers Lazarus a, a servant to be sent out on an errand because he wants Lazarus to go to his brothers and talk to them to do his bidding. Sadly, there's nothing that's going to change his predicament. He was a sinner in need of salvation. And because he didn't take care of things while he was here on earth, because he didn't ask Jesus into his life to be his Lord and Savior, that means he faced an eternity without Christ. That means he stood before God still holding on to all his sins. And the Bible is clear that when we do that, God's wrath will fall upon us for eternity in hell. I think you could say that he waited too long to pray. He wanted someone to go to his brothers. Suddenly he's thinking about spiritual things, but it was too late. He had already passed from this world. Lazarus, on the other hand, was in the glory of heaven. He had been given a place of honor next to the father of all believers, to Abraham. He was in the company of God's people, happier, healthier than he had ever been in his entire life. What had Lazarus done to deserve this honor? Nothing. 
Pure grace, wasn't it? Pure grace that God invited him to be with him forever in heaven. Just like it's pure grace for us to call on the name of Jesus, to be accepted by Jesus, to be sons and daughters of the King. Pure grace that God calls us to follow Him. There's one last reversal here, and that's Lazarus' hopelessness on earth was replaced by joyfulness in heaven. And the rich man's hope in his wealth here on earth was replaced with hopelessness in eternity. See, on on earth, the rich man, he didn't think he needed anyone's help. He was rich. He didn't need other people. He could depend on himself, on his money, on his wealth. But now that it was all gone, he cries out for help. Maybe for the first time in his life, he shows concern for others. While he knows he cannot leave hell, our passage clearly states that, yet he asks that Abraham would send Lazarus to his brothers to warn them, to warn them about what was coming, so that they too wouldn't experience the same fate that he did. The rich man apparently thought if someone who was dead would go back to them, surely they would believe. How could they not believe? They'd hear the good news and and respond. But is that true? Remember what happened when Jesus raised um, Lazarus from the dead, another Lazarus, and called him from the grave and they unwrapped him and there he was all of a sudden. What an amazing thing to witness. And in that passage, we're told that the Pharisees, they were eyewitnesses of that. Lazarus was raised from the dead. And yet, did they believe? No, it made them want to kill Jesus all the more. They hated him even more than they did before. See, unless God begins that work within our hearts, Unless God begins to stir the dirt and plant that seed and send the water and everything that the seed needs, how is that faith going to begin to grow? See, without Jesus beginning that good work, unable to hear that good news, In fact, they want nothing to do with God. Just like the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with God. What did Abraham say to the rich man? Why did he say no? Well, for one, you can't cross this chasm because it's been fixed. But the other thing he says is, but they have... The prophets, they have Moses, they have the Ten Commandments, they have the law. What is that law? We're told that it's like a double-edged sword. It penetrates deep within us. It comforts, it convicts. To bring life to condemn. 
And if they're not even without God's word having an effect on their hearts, in their lives, nothing's going to change them. They have God's word. I'm sure this man heard it over and over again as he went to, as he went to the temple. And yet it meant nothing to him. He went through the motions of church, but he didn't really have a relationship with God. Notice how hell is described in this story. The rich man is said to be in torment. Verse 23, he begged for even the smallest amount of water to relieve his suffering. Verse 24, he himself says in verse 24, I am in agony in this fire. Verse 25, Abraham also uses the word agony to describe this man's condition in hell. In verses 27 and 28, the rich man begs to warn his family about this place so that they will not come to this place of torment. Over and over you have those same words, torment, agony. It's for a reason. Jesus is trying to warn us of the horribleness of a place called hell. And we should be repulsed by it. We should hate it so much that we would do anything in our power to avoid it. I shudder to think of the hopelessness of hell. Everything good taken away, no common grace, nothing withholding evil, just pure evil all the time. Your fate forever sealed. When you're thinking of people who are facing an eternity like this, does it bother you? Do you think about it ever? You think about neighbors and friends and family members, that that's what they're facing? What are you willing to do? Are you going to wait until it's too late? Or are you going to work at it now? Be the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus and be used by Him to warn others, to point them to Jesus. We don't have to worry about the fruit, the results. We've talked about that before. That's, that's in God's hands, who He's going to call. What we need to do is be faithful in sharing that good news with those around us. Do we really love our neighbor as ourself? You know, one of the most loving things you can do is to tell them about Jesus. To show them a better way. I remember one time, Arla and I were at J.C. Penney shopping. Our, our oldest, he was only three at the time, he's just a little guy. And as we were shopping, suddenly Philip is gone. Couldn't find him. We looked, we started searching around, we could not find him, we're calling out to him. Suddenly we're in a panic. Arla goes one way, I go the other way. Um, a store manager heard what was going on, they shut the store down. I mean, it was a big deal. Couldn't find Philip. Finally, other people are helping us look, and finally we found him hiding underneath one of the little clothes things. Happy as could be, just playing there with something that he found. Was that scary? I remember everyone clapping once, once we found him, and again, Arlo was in tears, and she's hugging him, and other people have smiles on their face, they're all clapping, and it was a good moment. How scary, though, 
Is that how we look for the lost around us, with that same passion, that same desire to save the lost around us, to save those that Christ has placed into your life? You know certain people for a reason. God has placed you where he has for a reason. It's not by chance. Are you being a light and a witness? Are you being a yeast? Are you telling them about Jesus? Again, the rich man, he waited. He waited too long. But it's not too long for us. We still have time. This is still the day of salvation. That's not only good news for us, but it's good news for those that the Lord wants us to reach out to. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter. When you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, there is forgiveness. He makes you whiter than snow, the Bible says. That is something to celebrate. But also it should motivate us to want to reach out to those who are still living in the darkness of their sins. Still the day of salvation. God wants to use us to call the lost to himself. That's been his plan. But we need to love the lost as much as Jesus does, don't we? Let's ask the Lord of the harvest to use us and our church to gather in the lost. May we work at this with urgency, remembering that the day of salvation is a lot closer than we think. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we look at this parable, as we think about heaven and hell, Lord, it's not a place that we would wish anyone would be. Father, we just pray that you might use us to reach the lost around us. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we might see the harvest. We thank you, Lord, that the end result is up to you. That we don't have to bear that responsibility, but yet at the same time, Lord, you've called each of us to be faithful in being a light to others. And so, Lord, may we do that. May we do that through our, our deeds, through our love, but may we also do that through our words. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much, for the mercy that you show us. Despite all that we've done, thank you for the grace that is ours. In Christ Jesus, we ask this in his name. Amen. If you would stand, we're going to